Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, so this has been highly requested for a while. People have been wanting a podcast, and that's exactly what you're getting, but a little bit different because we're not just talking all baseball. We're talking specifically about the Mets on this podcast, and I'm not alone. I have a co-host here over on the Mets Dub Podcast, James Shiano. You can find him on Twitter. He'll tell you all his information, but you know what? Enough of me explaining who he is. Let him take over here, and then we'll get going into Mets talk. Like That's just what we're going to do all year long. All year long, baby. So I'm James Shiano. Good friends of Mark for a long time. Grew up together. Went to high school together. Lived together in New York for a little while. You can follow me on Twitter at GeetherHadNoRange. Just to repeat that, that's GeetherHadNoRange. As in Derek Jeter, the former New York Yankee shortstop, had no range. Accurate. Accurate statement. While this isn't, you know, we'll we'll trash talk the Yankees a little bit on here, but we are going to stay focused mostly on the Mets. For those of you who don't know me, Giraffe Neck Mark, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all that stuff. Big Mets fan. James is a huge Mets fan. We decided to come together, make this Mets podcast, just because there's a lot of Mets podcasts out there, and they're all great. But we wanted to do a little different spin. We got a little bit more of a positive angle on this. We're going to go a little more in-depth, and honestly, it's going to be a little more conversational. As James said, we've been friends for a while now. We live together. We have a good rapport. I think this is something that you guys are going to be able to see on YouTube. You're going to be able to follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Everything is going to be Mets up that's where you're going to be able to follow us, so make sure if you're not following, which you're probably not because it's the first episode, you get over there, you drop us a follow, and I mean, I'm just super excited. I, I think as a Mets fan, it's a really exciting time right now. We have so many great things to talk about. I mean, you, you want to get started and just get going into our first episode? Yeah, man, let's jump in. There's a lot that happened this offseason, and specifically, a lot of good stuff for the Mets. I mean, Francisco Lindor... Carlos Carrasco, mm-hmm. James McCann, mm-hmm. and I think Trevor May will probably be the four mm-hmm. biggest additions that we have this offseason. And of course, Francisco Lindor being the big one. Which of those four guys do you think is honestly going to end up having the most impact this season? And which one do you think is going to end up being the guy that maybe is someone that the Mets fans can fall in love with the most? For sure, I think the answer to that question is going to be Francisco Lindor. I think a lot of people don't remember or don't realize just necessarily how good this guy is. For four straight years, from 2016 through 2019, every year he had 30 home runs. His batting average was hovering around 280. Gold glove caliber defense, smile through either ear, encapsulated the hearts of the Cleveland fans. He took that team to the playoffs year after year. He truly is one of probably the 10 best all-around players in baseball. And his personality and his vibe and his demeanor are going to fit incredibly well with the Mets and just the fan base that we have here. You like, you like that little softball question for the first one? I think everyone yeah. in their so mom easy. knew that the answer was going to be Francisco yeah. Lindor. Actually, Mark, I really think that Sam McWilliams and his, his rising four-seam fastball is really is really going to be the one who has the biggest impact on this team this Listen, year, not, not their MVP shortstop. Sam McWilliams <laughs> has been looking really good. He was a guy yeah, that— I know, he's awesome. Uh, I want to plug him. Yes, we'll, we'll talk more Sam McWilliams. I mean, he's, he's exciting. The stuff that he's doing on the mound— in, and like all the potential that he has, like this could be a guy that could eventually one day get some high leverage outs for us. But yeah, I mean, absolutely, we, we can't talk about the Mets offseason without talking about Francisco Lindor. We also can't talk about the Mets offseason without talking about probably the best addition in New York Mets history. Let's just go ahead and say that right now. 
Steve Cohen. Absolutely. Uh, That's a great place to start. That was actually, I should have answered that. That's good. And th- that was, you know what that was? That was like a little bit of a, that was the sneaky answer. That's like you fill out the yeah, SATs on the writing section and they're like, ooh, uh, that's a good point we yeah. didn't think of. But yeah, I mean, Steve Cohen, like just $14 billion, the fact that he seems to like the Mets and wants the Mets to win. Coming from the Wilpons era, it's just, it's refreshing. You can tell how much of a fan that Steve is based on, like, I remember the early videos that were coming out during spring training, before we even had um, Grapefruit Games going, that Steve would just sit in the, in the uh, seats. I think it's called, it's called Legends Park. Legends Park uh, Sanders, uh, right? Clover, yeah. Clover, whatever it's called. Clover? I think it's Clover now. Yeah. It, I haven't been yeah, there, so yeah. I can't really care. Not yeah, me too. Nonsense detail. But the fact that he would just sit there and literally watch practice. You have to love baseball so much to watch like fungo work, ground balls, like outfielding drills, like that you you really really have to love baseball and love this team. Just sit there all day and just take that in. Yeah, I mean like having gone to spring training myself and luckily for me, I fall in the same category of just absolutely love baseball, but I've had friends that come with me that like baseball, it's something on the side and a couple hours into being at spring training you're like, "Okay, let's go get some food, let's grab a beer, let's do something else cuz this is boring as hell." But Steve Cohen, while he may not be a baseball player, he may not be a guy who can tell you what makes a guy good or not. He's got the money, he's got the passion, and it seems like he is ready for this Mets team to win, which is just what we've been waiting for. The dark cloud's been lifted over the Mets. It's also great to see him in this offseason cuz there could have been a situation i think we have seen this in years past with either changing in ownerships or changing of just uh, regimes i remember aj preller where people have a tendency to become over aggressive and go outside of their price range to do things that they think is right or they think that they're, maybe they're getting pressure from the fans to do and the fact that the mets like remained disciplined this offseason they were committed to staying under the luxury tax whether you like that decision or not as a fan they stuck to that plan while improving the team tremendously. It shows that there's a process in place. And I think process is the thing that most Met fans really should and can be excited for. Because we've never really had a thorough, legitimate process for basically never. our entire lives in the last 20 years of our fandom. Yeah, no. And it's, it's refreshing to feel that we're doing things the right way consistently and that we can trust the people in place to continue to do those things yeah i think from baseball from baseball yeah of course like it's we were involved in the top three free agents on the market and even technically dj lemay you were involved in so you could say the top four guys we had our hat in the ring and that's something we haven't even done so just the fact that we're making a conscious attempt to try to get better players on a team that's not that far away from being very good which i think they are right now yeah, very, definitely very good. It's great, and we didn't put ourselves in a hole, like you said. Like, Yes, we could have got Bauer for the $45 million a year. Yeah. How would that have handcuffed us going forward? I think he's going definitely. to be a great player, but that contract is going to maybe take away from Conforto, could take away from Syndergaard, Lindor. All the moves that we made this offseason seemed really smart. Yeah, absolutely, and especially also when you look at George Springer. The fact that there was a team who was willing to be more aggressive and offer someone who's over 30 years old, who's going to deteriorate athletically over the course of his contract, a sixth year... It's all the power to them. Like, that's fine. But you, the willingness to step away from the table and understand that when you've been met, like your, your value has been met and now it's being exceeded, that's fine. It's more than fine. Yeah, and as you said, like... Not going to sign everybody. No, and like they would have helped us so much this year. But as of Steve course. Cohen has said over and over again, it's not going to be a this year kind of thing. This year would be great. But three to five years is his target window to win a World Series. And he's putting us in a great spot right now for those three to five years, especially if we can bring back Lindor after this season. I mean, Absolutely. I think it's going to get done, but I, I love yeah, all Yeah, it's a must. Yeah. I think like that's probably got to be the number one thing we have to do this offseason or going into next sure. offseason is re-sign Lindor. And then what else would you go? Probably. I would probably say that can for the, I mean, 
It's, I don't know which one of the, I'm trying to think of like in terms of like a difficulty in re-signing. Yeah. And I feel like Conforto seems more willing to remain at the Mets long term, but you always question that when Scott Boris is his agent. Yeah. So I would probably welcome him to the table first. Because I think also if Noah Syndergaard wanted to sign an extension, it seems like something already would have gotten done. Like it seems like it would benefit both parties to get an extra year of control under Thor where he can rehab well this year, pitch a full season going into his contract year. It would be beneficial for everyone. It just seems like maybe those two sides aren't as close as some people would hope they would be. Yeah, I think probably with Noah, too, a little bit has to deal with the fact that he probably wants to see what his health is like. I mean, I heard today, I think I saw a tweet that he wasn't even throwing 100% and he was in like 96, 97, which yeah, that's, yeah. you love to hear that as a Mets fan. because no, I think that honestly might have been flat ground, too, which is even, I, that might not be true, but that is just the fact that he's throwing that gas already yeah, is great. It's really, really good signs. But I think he's probably one of those guys, too, where he's like, okay, you know what? My value is at its absolute lowest right now. While there is a little risk because let's just say there's a world where he can't pitch anymore, right? He blew it. But I don't think that's going to happen, so... What are you talking about? Why would you even say that? Listen, I'm just saying. I'm saying. I gotta say. Because Syndergaard, you know, if he's not going to take the extension now, he's betting on himself. That's my whole... We're we're going back to the betting on himself. He's going to be fine. We got There's nothing to worry (laughs) about there. I think the way that pitching contracts also have changed over the last few off-seasons, you don't need to put... There doesn't have to be that much proof in your pudding to get a large deal. Like You look at a guy like Drew Smiley who signed this year... For I think over ten million dollars a year, for at least three seasons. I think it was thirteen. Yeah, thirteen. Yeah. I think it was three for thirty-nine. He probably has less than a hundred innings in the last three combined seasons. Yeah, I, I, he, he put he yeah he put out a fifty-inning sample last year where he was very effective and he was paid basically to the top end of what he could possibly be. Yeah, no. I, so I think knowing that Noah Syndergaard realizes he could probably pitch seventy great innings this year as long as the stuff is good and he's reliable and he's mechanically sound and nothing else flares up, he'll get probably the 200 million dollar contract he covets if not just like a one to two year bridge deal like we spoke about before. yeah so smiley actually now looking it up one year 11 millions but still like you said like that's a lot for a guy who statistically it's really only one year yeah one year 11 million statistically a lot though yeah, 11 still, million yeah for a guy who, even like if you look at someone we left out with the mets offseason acquisitions taiwan walker yeah taiwan walker has barely also pitched over the last three years he put together a 50 to 60 inning sample last season he was rewarded with a multi-year contract yeah and it was what did he come out to he came out to four three for 30 i think i think he's i mean he's over 10 million dollars a year or right around 10 million dollars a year for a guy like you said who in three seasons has thrown about 60 70 innings so Syndergaard has better stuff than all the guys that we've mentioned we've seen him perform at an extremely high level i'm sure he's like i want to come out prove it and then i'm going to get paid what i deserve i mean bauer just got 45 million and outside the Cy Young they had fairly similar kind of stuff in terms of how well they performed in the past so uh, Syndergaard could get some big money if he shows he's healthy but uh, yeah I, I agree with you though back to what we were originally saying Conforto I think Conforto is the other guy he's just like such a cornerstone of this franchise yeah it, he's been there the whole time too he's, like he's our guy like he was there for the yeah. 2015 World Series run and he was such mm-hmm. a big part and like honestly absolutely everyone talks about Cespedes pushing us but like you could also make the argument that Conforto is another huge reason why we got there I think you reward your guys and then you know we get everybody else too so definitely especially seeing the way Conforto has improved like on and off the field over the last few years like he seems like he's really he's kind of a more reserved guy especially compared to people on this team like Pete and Dom who love to be out there love to be like in the mix same with Lindor but Conforto being reserved he seems like that like strong silent type that like really can like set a level in a locker room you need that and I mean like just to have him around like he's getting to the point now where like his swing is probably like one of the better ones in baseball and his eye and everything like if there's just young guys who can be around and pick his brain like what Brett Beatty has that nice left-handed swing too I'd love to have him hang around Michael Conforto for a couple years and see what he can pick his brain from just just talk yeah just have a conversation say hey why didn't you swing at this pitcher what are you thinking like just just 
lunch, cup of, cup of coffee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> be, a, be a leader. So, I Hang mean, out. yeah. The Mets, we got a lot of great problems. This is like, this is something we're so not... So many good problems. We're not used the Mets to also, the, Mets, the Mets have so many weird problems as a team. It's bizarre array of issues. Like, the fact that the Mets corners are littered with talent. Dude. Like, beyond, beyond repose. It's crazy how many good first... Third, left fielders, and right field players that are on this team. It's shocking. Well, you, you probably know where I'm going right now because I we when we were planning what we were going to talk about in the first episode, this was like somebody who I wanted to go so in depth in and talk about. Luis Guillorme. Luis Guillorme has gone from a guy who was a bench bat with a good glove that you go, eh, if we have to use him, it's whatever. He's an optionable player too. This guy's going to probably play close to 110, 120 games this year, I think. I, I, I hope. I mean, <laughs> like, because he not only has the position flexibility of any position out in the infield besides first base, but he's also hitting. He has good at-bats, and Definitely. his glove is great at every single position. Incredible. Like, I, I don't know what you're thinking about him, but like I see him playing probably at least three or four times a week. Definitely. And something really seemed to click for Guillaume. That night against Washington in 2019, the Friday night, oh, I was at the game. And you also happened to be at yes. that game. We didn't know each other. We were at the we game. We didn't know we were at the game, and I was sitting yeah. with the seven line, like first yeah. first row. And I was a little drunk. I'm not gonna lie. Like we had a few beers, yeah. we were having a good time. And I remember even when that happened, I went, "Oh, we we brought up Guillaume." I'm like, "This no, is this is the guy we called up in a big situation." And he hit that home run, and like you said, it just something clicked since then. Yeah, I was sitting with two friends at the time of that. We were up in the upper deck, like behind the plate. And uh, me and my one friend is very negative. Another one's very positive. And I was like, oh, this guy can't hit. My friend's like, oh, you're so right. My friend's like, no, he made the home run. The Messi the home run. He's going to do it. He's going to be clutch. And he did it. And we all just grabbed each other. Ah! <laughs> like, oh, my God, Luis Guillorme. The, like, the uns- yeah, it was unheralded that he was going to hit that home run. But legitimately, he clicked in that moment. I get, maybe he changed something with a swing, a leg kick, and aggressiveness. But he has found actual power since then. Yeah. He had, like since that moment he has an OPS over 750. When earlier in his career, that's something you would have never thought possible. No, you thought Ever. you thought if you got a 700 OPS out of him, it was okay because he was your backup guy who had a really strong glove, and you were like, "Well, take Definitely. it for the few innings he's going to play." And that also kind of segues something I want to talk about with him, where his glove is so solid. Now that his bat is a round league average, where you can hope to be, the way the rest of this lineup works itself out, you realistically could get away with putting him on the field as a def- like as one of the few defensive focused players that we have. Yeah. Like our offense is going to be so good. Not that his is going to be bad, but it's not he's not going to hit like JD or Jonathan VR. Of course. But at the end of the day, if you gave every single one of those guys 100- 150 games in the field and 550 at bats, if you had to say who would return the most value, you'd probably come up with Guillaume. Yeah, which like that's just it's it's so weird it's to cr- think about. It's crazy. Because yeah. like you said, literally 2 seasons ago, no way in the world would you have said that. No, he couldn't even hit. He might as well have gone up there with holding the bat upside down. Yeah, he, for like his first like 300 at He bats. went from being the guy who like caught the, you know, caught the bat flying into the dugout in spring training. Yeah. Like, oh, he's a bit of a meme to now it's like <laughs> no, this is a player and I think like to talk about Guillermo a little more, the spring training at bat he had the other day against Jordan Hicks, oh my God. I think just shows the type of improvement and the type of like value he brings to the team. Because even in a pinch hit scenario, he's going to yes. grind out in that bat. That's a spring yes. training at bat. He could have looked at three pitches. I went down 0-2 against Jordan Hicks. Yes. That's it. And he did it, what, 22 pitch at bat? 22 pitches. And he worked out a walk. Yeah, worked out a walk. And he was down <laughs> 0-2 on the first yeah. two pitches. And and he put two really nice little, like, jam shots, like, right over third base. Yeah. He almost dropped two of them in for, like, sl- like, slight doubles. But, like, if you were to do that in an actual regular season series, that can change the course of how a manager will use his bullpen f- 
for the next two games. Yeah, if that's if that's game one and Jordan Hicks comes in against the Mets, Jordan Hicks just threw 22 pitches to one batter. He has to stay in for the next two because of the pitch count 100%. thing. And they're mm-hmm. not going to do the you know fake injury thing in spring training because, I mean, he should have just been pulled anyway. Who cares about the rules? Definitely. But you got 22 pitches on one batter. At the absolute worst, Jordan Hicks is at the end of the line already. And he didn't even get an out. He's, he's done for the series yeah. after that inning. There's no way he can come out there if he throws 35 pitches in one game. You need two days off. Yeah. That that's the kind of stuff that you grind out over the course of a season that gives you wins, that like helps your margin, that brings up your range of outcomes to the fact where you need to win the division. You need to beat teams who are good on a regular basis. He, Luis Guillorme is reminding me a lot of like what we'd probably call like a raise player, where it's like plays a bunch of different positions, plays them really well, has a good eye, puts the ball in play, like. He's kind of a Joey Wendell-ish type. I was literally about to say, he's a lot like Joey Wendell. He kind of comes out like a Joey Wendell now. Yeah. And that's I think, awesome. and, yeah. and, and that's, that's, a a, that's a great player to have. Like that's Was that natural? Did you just think of that? I just thought of it right now. <laughs> I was like, because when you were talking about like the, you know, putting him at third base, you put him over 150 games, like expanding his thing. I'm like, man, he's like, he's like Joey Wendell. And Joey and Wendell that always, that always happens to Joey Wendell. The Rays yes. always go into the season. Everyone thinks Joey, Joey Wendell's going to be a platoon guy. Joey Wendell's going to play halftime. He's going to come in for a defense replacement. And you look at Joey Wendell's end of the season. You're like, what? He had 13 homers and like 18 steals. When did that happen? How Joey Wendell play 150 games? Yeah, and he, and he played he third base could. in the World Series like yeah. every single game. Like he's a guy that can play. Guillaume has played himself into more playing time, and I think he might Definitely. play into being a legitimate like everyday, almost everyday player. Definitely. And at least like if there were you know something to happen where we need someone to step in, it's really nice to know that we have him as our first option, and it's no Definitely. longer going to be you know like an Eric Campbell type where it's like oh what what are we going to do here or Matt Reynolds where it's like okay we know we're getting a glove. But the bat's Ty not Kelly. there. Yeah, Ty Kelly. You know, sorry, Ty Kelly, but I mean. So Twitter king. Twitter king. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, even if you would have asked this question a month ago, right after the Mets gave Peraza a camp invite and VR a major league contract, there was probably a world where Guillermo wasn't even making this team, or at least he found himself on the bubble. And he has left absolutely no doubt that he's going to be a valuable contributor this season. Yeah, like, because of the options, too, I think he probably still has at least one option left based, probably, on, yeah. based on how much I'm he's caught sure. up and down in Peraza and, or, and uh, VR definitely don't. But... Now one of those guys is going to start in AAA or they just become a free agent because there's no shot in the world Guillaume cannot make this roster. He has there's to. no way. There's a better chance of him being in the opening day lineup. Yeah. I mean, you get a good... Uh, he he actually does have one option left. Oh, he has one? Fangraphs check. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, you get a tough righty like a Scherzer or, you know, a Strasburg. How do you not start him over J.D. Davis, especially if you got Jacob no, DeGrom no, no, on no, the no, mound? No. Or you have Stroman with the ground ball possibilities with yeah, him. Yeah, Stroman and, and Peterson. I think you're going to see a lot. And that's how... what Yes, I think that was early. It's a Stroman pitch today, right? Stroman pitch five Guillaume, today, Guillaume, Yeah, Guillaume made that nice pick a short. When oh, you see so sick. Stroman... Yeah, great. But Stroman and Guillaume are going to be paired together at like like some pitchers are paired with catchers because there's going to be just more ground balls when he pitches that's just his style same with peterson so you're going to see guillorme those days and you'll probably see jd davis more on the days where the ground pitches when you're going to get more fly balls yeah no i mean there's it's it's going to be a really just vastly improved team from a defensive side you have lindor at short you have guillorme <laughs> we're hoping we're hoping we're, we're hoping yeah. <laughs> messed up we're bringing the d um <laughs> messed up need to forget the d up yes but i mean like i'm just it's such it like you said it's such a weird scenario that we're in where Luis Guillorme is now a player that we're talking about that is going to make a significant impact and we want to make a significant impact speaking about him glowingly yes i mean like he's he's a big part he's a big part of the episode today yeah, he's also, he's also just a big part of like the culture this team has built like one of the most beautiful things about that at bat was that every single pitch like Pete was like on top of the dugout like pelvic thrusting 
and Dom is just like waving his arms around. Like these guys were, have all played together for years and years and years. They came up together. All of these guys were drafted in the same like cluster of years, and they're friends. They like each other. Like it's so clear to see with this team, like the relationships that they have and how strong they are. And I think players throughout the offseason cited that as reasons they wanted to join. Like they, there's a, some kind of culture that the Mets have, and you can even throw Rojas into that because he also managed he managed with these guys through the minor leagues. There's a connectiveness here that's incredible no it's it's awesome it's awesome how the Mets culture has changed just it, it's not an overnight thing obviously because we saw it in 2019 we saw it in 20 but they're just they're a really fun team to watch you're starting to put them in the same conversation of like the San Diego Padres are fun to watch the White Sox are fun to watch like these are teams that play baseball have fun play good baseball going to be competitive and are going to be genuinely enjoy it yeah like I mean on the field together I've been to a couple teams that where I've walked into their clubhouse in spring training and it's just silent. They're sitting in their locker room. They're doing nothing. And those teams tend to be the worst teams in the league. They tend to be the teams that disappoint. Where then I walked into the Padres locker room. I walked into the Dodgers. I walked into the White Sox. These guys are all talking to each other, hanging out. They're friends. Yeah, if you, loose. Yeah, loose. It's so important. I mean, you hear Keith talk about it all the time during the game. He's like, you know, it's, it's important to take your job seriously, but you got to be able to enjoy yourself a little bit. And the Mets, Greg Maddox talks about that too a lot. Like you have to be, you have to have relationships with the players on your team, where you can be comfortable with like. Because when you're comfortable with the positivity, that makes you more willing and able to like call people out for negative things, and that's how you create accountability and everyone remains on the same page. And it's like when you then call those people out, it's not like because I don't like you. It's because it's like, dude, we gotta do better. It's not like a calling yeah, no. you out thing. It's like, hey, let's fix this. Yeah, we're friends. This is this whole thing's an organism. This only works if we're all working together. Which is beautiful. That's kind of sappy, but like, I don't know. Happy. Listen, I, we have, opening days around the corner. Yes, we've we've got positive thoughts. We got positive vibes with the Mets, and we want to capitalize positive it vibes. on as yeah. much as possible. LFGM. I think that's like I love that slogan so much more than LGM. Yeah, it's great. It's just significantly better. But we also do have a lot of new people coming into the team. We talked briefly about a few of them. Who were some of the guys that during the camp and spring training that like maybe have impressed you a little bit? Yeah, we spoke about it before, but I think Mick Williams is a guy who we're going to see come June, July, pitching seventh and eighth innings, and we're going to be like feel good about it. Sam McWilliams, he they, he came in, I think he had a minor league contract. Honestly, yeah, he's one of these new age pitchers who he never had any type of production to boot ever, but he just has like the pitch specs and like the shapes and designs that he want out of pitches. Like his fastball explodes. It's incredible. It's, it comes out so nice. It's awesome. And Trevor May also, you referenced him before. He is another guy who, he he went under the radar because that signing happened very quickly. It was when there were a lot of other big names still on the board that people were maybe more focused on, especially even with relievers, like his exact, exact position. But Trevor May for years has been very reliable, very consistent, and he his velocity has been ticking up and ticking up and ticking up and ticking up every single year. Jeremy Hefner has a way with these pitchers of finding new Finding more velocity. It's also telling that we're talking about the bullpen right now. Yes, the bullpen. The bullpen's very prevalent on my on my mind. The bullpen's good. I like. I think a lot okay, of people. Well, I think a lot of people fine. are worried, but I'm liking a lot of what we've seen so far. Why are you worried? What are you worried about? I'm very worried about with Lugo being injured and now to the news about Carrasco today. It's going to test pitching depth early. Where if Patances, which doesn't look like he does, if he's not someone who you can rely on late in games, on like at least. Like your backup day, like you're gonna have like your A bullpen go game one, Diaz will go two days in a row. But you need you're gonna need guys to get outs on the third, fourth, and fifth days, especially when Lucchese, 
or Yamamoto might be starting a game and you're going to need more innings out of certain guys out of the bullpen. Like, you need depth right now. It's going to be tested. I, I know you're a big fan of this guy, too, because we talked about him a little bit before, but Drew Smith. Drew Smith has been uh, yeah, opening like some Smith. eyes, too, I think, yeah. this camp. Drew, Drew, Drew Flo. Yeah, Drew Flo. I, I like that. <laughs> He's just like, he was a guy last year that I felt like just like never really got a real shot. Like, it just seemed like he was the guy that they would send down whenever they needed another starter or they needed you know, another arm out there and he would go out there and pitch three or four innings against the team when they're getting smacked yeah. around. They go, all right, go <laughs> Down back. Seven. Yeah, go back, go back to the uh, alternate site. Like you did your job. Get some ice. Yeah, ice it up. You'll be back in a couple <laughs> weeks and do the same thing over and over again. But Smith is kind of comes from the same. He's like akin to McWilliams where like you see him pitch and the, the design and like, it looks good. It should work. Like when you see a successful reliever, their stuff looks like how Drew Smith's stuff looks. There's just like a slight tweak or a slight adjustment right there. Maybe something mentally. It's something. It will click. I'm confident it'll click. I've been confident in Drew Smith for far too long. I've given that guy so many chances in my own head. He's like a really bad ex-girlfriend. I just continue to trust him. Like I'll never. I will always give Drew Smith another chance. Yes. Because no. I see his. I see his potential. And I really want it to work out. No, I was gonna say. Speaking of, you know, kind of bad ex-girlfriends or good ex-girlfriends, however you want to phrase it. Uh, let's talk about probably a little Edwin Diaz action here because yeah. he's been yeah. he's been a thorn in the yeah. Mets side a little bit since we got him. Yeah. yeah, yours too. Mine too is definitely mine. And like he, I go through phases of like, okay, when we got him, I was super excited because I was like, this guy, I saw he did in the WBC and I was like, he's going to be sick. And then he came and I was like, oh God, no, it's, it's Armando Benitez all over again. It's Aaron Heilman. Like this guy just can't get out of his own way. But then last year, he was good. But then he had a little rough stretch, and then he was great again. Peek behind the curtain for the listeners at home. Last year, there was probably a 30 to 40 game stretch where every single time Edwin Diaz would come and pitch, Mark would leave the room. Couldn't watch. He would walk, get, get, get up in a huff and say, that's it. I can't watch this guy. I'm out of here. I don't want to see it. Don't even tell me what happens. I'm leaving. Knock on my door when it's over for about a month. And I had two in a two month season. Yeah, not not lying. I did not watch the ninth inning of very many Mets games, and some of them were blown saves, but a lot of them were really good performances. The majority of them were really good performances, and I think I'm starting to turn a little bit of a new leaf with Edwin. I'm starting to trust him a little more. My trust isn't there yet. Be, be nice, Edwin. It's not there yet, but I tr- I'm trusting him more. And I saw what Decomo said today that when they asked Diaz questions on the Zoom conference or whatever. And the thing that really stuck out to me was when he said, I feel like I can do whatever I want. I feel like I'm the best pitcher out there. And he seems like he's a guy who's when he's feeling good and when he's confident, he is able to be one of the best closers in the game. And I feel like that's what's been lacking in New York, especially for him. I mean, like even when he gave up the home run to Real Muto, which I think is like kind of the... Not the breaking point, but that's the one that everyone remembers. And he just threw up his hands. Is like, what am I supposed to do? And it seems like Hefner's been able to get into his head, get him in the right mindset, get him right. And it's he's back to like, I bring up the WBC again, but when he faced the Netherlands and he had, I think it was like, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Ballantine up at the plate. He threw two fastballs right down the middle. And it was like, he took big hacks. And then the third pitch, he went up and in and backed him off the plate. And it was a little, it was a little tense. Benches cleared a little bit, but Diaz was like talking crap. He was like, hey, yeah, let's go. Come at me. You want to go? Let's no, do this. No, it's confidence. And that's what I want to see from him. I want to see him be, honestly, a little bit of an asshole. I want him to be a little bit of a dick. If, it's, if that's what's going to take for him to be the elite closer that we saw in Seattle and saw a little bit last year, do it. Please be the most hated man by every team in baseball. Because if that's what makes you perform the best and give the Mets wins... I'm so in. I'll buy your jersey tomorrow. I don't care. A big part of closing is, like, the mental aspect of it. Like, you need to be, like, a half of a psychopath to, like, key yourself up, sit there for, like, two and a half hours, then stretch and come in just, like, in a blaze of, like, fierce, like, competitive rage and just throw your just balls out for an inning. 
and just feel that like tenacity like you need swag to be good at this like you need to be a terminator you there can be no question inside of your own mind who the greatest pitcher in the world is the only answer is you even like cole salser like has to walk into the ninth <laughs> inning in camden yards and be like i am the king i am cole salser you, you just have to like like Kendall Graveman is going to walk out this year in Seattle and be like, this is my freaking inning. This is mine. Like you just have to do that. You have to feel that way. You need swagger. You need confidence. And you need to believe you're the baddest man on the planet because for those 20 minutes, you might be. Which like, it all, whenever I think of like the baddest man on the planet in terms of like closers, I always go back to like Brian Wilson who like, let's be honest, didn't have like the greatest stuff. He was like, he was okay. No, but his, pedestrian. his mindset was probably the most like the strongest mind that we've seen from a closer in a long time where he was like, I just don't care. I'm going to shove it down your throat. I'm going to throw my 93 mile an hour fastball at you. You're not going to hit it. And I'm going to dance on you and do my little, you know, my little thing with my crazy beard. Like he was legitimately psycho, but he was huge for the Giants during their stretch where they were great. Same, same thing with, um, what's his name? I'm blanking on the name. Rodney. Fernando Rodney. Oh, yeah. Too. Like, yeah, of course. <laughs> insane. Of course. You have to, you have to be halfway deranged to like do that on a baseball field to the people you just defeated. Or even like swag. Rafael Soriano, I remember like he, after he'd get yeah. a save, he'd, like, he'd rip his shirt out of his like pants. He's like, get this shit off of me. Like, dude, Valverde, even when Valverde was closing games in Queens, when the Mets were a disaster and he was throwing like 88 miles an hour, he yeah, he's, he's all about like, let's go. And like, I think that's like, it's nice because probably in the past in baseball, you couldn't really have shown that much like enthusiasm or like bravado without like getting the guy on your team hit. But now baseball starting to move a little bit more towards like the having fun, showing emotion type thing. And I think it's going to help a guy like Diaz because I mean, I'm the best pitcher out there. I love that. He said that that's just something we wouldn't have heard from him. Even last year. I don't think it's also six innings and no walks. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Good. He's not someone knock on every single thing yeah. I have here, but he's not somebody that I'm, that I'm worried about right now. It's really the depth behind them. I'm scared a little bit about Patantis. I'm scared about Lugo's elbow. I'm a little bit nervous for Familia. Like, I, those are the guys who need to fill out the meat and potatoes of this bullpen who need to help us in 162 games. They're the ones who's going to rely on. And time, just time will tell. Like, they have the stuff. We have the infrastructure. We just... We're just not going to know until we know. Yeah, that's, that's why they play the games, right? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta use a cliche every once in a while. That's why I play the games. Like one, let's play two. Let's play two, why not? And then, like, I think another really cool thing that I've been liking in camp, and it's kind of toned down a little bit now as it's gotten a little bit deeper, but all the young guys that we've been seeing, we got a little taste yeah, of Mauricio. Definitely. We saw a little bit of Beatty, Alvarez, Pico Armstrong. Like, I was really surprised with Mauricio in the field because he was always a guy that you've been hearing about, like, he's probably going to end up moving to, like, third base or maybe a corner outfield spot. That he's not going to be that athletic, but at shortstop he looked pretty good, and he's smooth. And he's Very also smooth. a just massive human being. I didn't realize how okay, big sure. this kid is. Like, no, he he literally looks like like Brandon Marshall. Like he could be a wide receiver. Like Kenny Galladay is going to sign a nice deal probably later this evening. Mauricio could he get even that money if not more? Like if he could just clean up his footwork running routes, like nice. He is a beast. And what is he? Nine? Is he nineteen? Nineteen twenty years old? He might, he might he might be nineteen or twenty. Yeah, he might. I mean, honestly, like everything in the minor leagues just kind of got frozen because of last year. I don't, I don't even know how old he is. Yeah, I just like, I remember when he got mentioned as the Mets' top prospect, like before he was their top guy, I was like, ooh. He's 19. He's turning 20 uh, by opening day. Okay, April so 40. he's 20 years old. Now. Yeah. I, like, Born in 2001, if you want to feel old. Ooh, wow. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that is, that's, <laughs> that's, not, that's that weird. Cool. And we're only 25. <laughs> but yeah, like I remember when he, the, fir- the hype started coming for him first, I was like, oh, big kid, shortstop. He's 18 years old. I love this. And then he kind of didn't hit. He kind of showed no power a little bit, and I was like, ah, like, what's this really going to turn into? The glove wasn't as high as people thought. 
But then he's starting to get the little bit hype back. So I'm excited about Mauricio. The guy I love the most in their farm systems, Francisco Alvarez. I'm obsessed with him. Yeah, I, just think, I think he's, he's so sick. But like, of yeah, course, cool. <laughs> catchers have got to take a little grain of salt with everything. I know. There's no, there's no such thing as a catching prospect. Because, you know, it just doesn't, Kevin Plowecki yeah, and Tomas Nito and Josh Tolley all hit 330 in the minors at some point. So You you can't tell me that Matt Weathers hasn't had his best season yet. I won't be convinced. It's still it's, it's still possible. <laughs> I'll never quit. Who do you who's the guy the young guy that's impressed you the most so far this camp if you had to pick one? If I had to pick one, it I love all the guys we're talking about right now, but I really have a ton of confidence in Matthew Allen. There's been a lot of reports coming up through the grapevine of Matthew Allen spending time with DeGrom, spending time with Stroman, organizing his bullpen sessions around when those guys are throwing. There's been tons of pictures gone up on Twitter of like him, like with a baseball, like holding it. I'll use my orange, like using it, pointing to his stuff. Like, like he, you want a guy like that who's a sponge. And that's the best part of spring training, that you can put all of these players together and the young guys can see what success takes and see the types of things, the habits, the tendencies that they need to reach that level. And I think Allen is a guy who's like his, I mean, his results this spring haven't been that great. It's very difficult for young pitchers to face major league hitters in the spring, but you can just see his process and you can see like his mentality and the things that he thinks about and the way he thinks about the game from a pitcher that's astronomically important. And again, that's like always the hardest thing is figuring out that mental side of it and becoming like not just a thrower because he clearly has the physical attributes. Yeah. I mean, he's a Crazy. another just like really big, big shoulder, strong kid. So the stuff is always going to be there. But if you can't put it together on the mound and actually pitch, that's what separates the guys that are pitchers from throwers. And yeah, oh, definitely. Matt Allen hanging around Jacob deGrom. I mean, I, w- I will literally pay him to hang around Jacob deGrom. Whatever he wants, I'll, whatever the Mets are paying him, I'll match him. Just hang around him. Do it. I would like to hang around Jacob DeGrom. I'm, I, I've, I could probably learn a thing or two. My shoulder doesn't really work anymore, but I'm sure DeGrom could teach me how to throw lefty. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. Literally. I could probably find an extra couple miles an hour. Yeah. I, crack, crack, crack 80. Yeah, hit, hit that 81. Ooh, all right, call it a day. We're done. Matthew Allen's only 19 also. I thought he was a little bit older. I didn't realize he was a high school guy. Yeah, he was a part of, the, he was a part of the Beatty draft, I think, where they got him and Josh Wolf, who thank you, Josh Wolf, for being a part of the trade package for Francisco Lindor. Appreciate you. One of the one of the great Mets. Hope he has a great career. I really do. I hope he <laughs> I hope he buys into the Cleveland Indians pitching over there and becomes Definitely. the next and Shane I'm sure Bieber. He will. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, go go for it, dude. Do your thing. AL Central. Win it forever. We don't have to talk about the other players we've traded away though. We can we can move on past that because you know don't got to worry about that. And even Pete Crow Armstrong, which was, you know, their first round pick this year, he's a big strong kid. Definitely. He he like a lot of the comps I've seen to him was Brett Gardner. When you see a Brett Gardner comp, you're not really generally excited. No, and that's what I saw when I was like doing all my draft stuff. I was like, Brett Gardner. I was like, and we took him like twelfth. Like, yeah, he had a fifteen year career, but he's never been even close to one of the best outfielders in baseball. And I see like like to get like prospecty for a second, I seen a guy, Corbin Carroll, on the Diamondbacks, and I could see Pete. Crow Armstrong. I can't say Pete because Pete makes everyone think of Alonzo. PCA? I don't know what to call it. PCA. PCA. I can see him having a similar trajectory to Corbin Carroll. Because Corbin Carroll, about the same size. They're both very speedy, contact-oriented players. But he's pulled on a little bit of weight. He's added a little bit of loft to his swing over the last few years. You, I can just see his, like, especially when you're a defensive first outfielder, and you'll, you're not going to lose the defensive ability. He has 10 years of peak athleticism remaining. If he can just bring that hitting up to a certain degree. Which, well, this is a guy who will probably nudge into top 100 lists over the next 18 months yeah and i think like pete I, I know people who are like you know heavily invested into like the prospects especially the draft guys joe doyle on uh twitter if you want to follow him he's really good but he was like he was messaging me he's like dude i'm telling you pca is making huge strides because he saw it was a little like initially wasn't as excited as some other people i was like okay let's see what he's got like he's he's a young kid especially with some of the guys on the board at that point yeah of course yeah. but he's like dude everyone who's been seeing this guy loves what they're seeing and that the trajectory yeah, no, just keeps going up and up he's like so i think you might have gotten like 
I think a more reasonable comp now is probably like, we hope that he can get to the offensive like prowess of Brandon Nimmo because that would be, that would be sick. Apparently he's a very patient hitter, which is like also something that is really hard to, to teach. That's the hardest thing to teach him. When, when young guys have that, it's like the sky becomes like the sky becomes a limit. Yeah. And that's like you look at the top prospect list, list. Typically, if you look at like the guys who are super, super young and super high, it's because they have a great eye at the plate. A guy like, you know, Wander Franco, who also hits really well, too. So, yeah, or, or, they, or they're just freaks of nature, like like, like Joe Adalo, Fernandez, that's easy. Generational yeah. talents, too. Like, yeah. no big deal. Or they're just, yeah, just absolute lunatics physically. I mean, we've talked about the young guys. We've talked about the bullpen. Let's talk about the Mets lineup mm-hmm. a little bit here because we have so many great players that. We have the opportunity to have a different player at every single spot in the lineup, and you probably wouldn't really have a problem with any of them being in any spot. So I think it'll be fun for us to do before the season starts in today's episode, go over what our ideal lineup would be and how we, what, what our opening day lineup would look for DeGrom on the mound. So I'm, I'm going to let you go first, and I'll come in with mine after you. I love Brandon Nemo hitting leadoff so much. It's like... I don't know. Sometimes things just fit really well. Like sometimes you like you make cupcakes in those little trays and you just fill them up and you're like, wow, this fits so perfectly. Like I'm so happy I have this. Having Brandon Nemo and not hitting him leadoff would just be a disservice to baseball in general. He is the perfect prototypical leadoff hitter. His on-base percentage is going to be pushing 400. His strikeouts have consistently been going down for a few years running. He has some pop, but not a ton. He's, I think, faster than given credit for. He'll take a good at-bat. He, I want Brandon Nemo to see the first pitch of the game. And I, I, I... I can't be more serious about that. I think I think at the leadoff spot, we're on the exact same page. Like, I was used to be, like, Team Lindor or Team McNeil on the leadoff spot. But Nimmo, the eye he has, plus a little bit of pop, like you said. I mean, I'm just going to be repeating what you said. He's up there with some of the best eyes in the game. Like, you're talking Juan Soto, Mike Easily. Trout, Joey Votto. Like, he's in that conversation as one of the elite eyes. And I think even if you look at, like, WRC Plus from the last few years, look at that, Sabermetrics dropping him. I think he's, like, a top 10 player. Now, especially when you look at things like his chase rate also. Like his his O swing to continue analytically, like he will not. He, sometimes he'll swing at bad pitches, of course. Everybody does, and sometimes he'll have bad strikeouts. But he will not put himself in a disadvantageous situation. And from the leadoff hitter, that's what you want. You want to put the pressure on the other team early. And when he works a walk to start the game and sprints to first base, love that it. Big beautiful goofy <laughs> smile across his face. Like there's no better feeling. And the fact that now when there's a man on first, nobody outs. Francisco Lindor, who's my pick for number two hitter, is going to be walking to the plate. It's just it makes me really happy. I'm really giddy. I'm really excited to think about it. Yeah, we're on the same page right now. And the same thing is like McNeil could go at two. You could put Alonzo like maybe at two if you're feeling a little crazy, trying to get like the power going. Um, but he is a big double play candidate, and he's going to hit to some hard ground balls where it's it's a double play. So I don't like him at two. Lindor definitely at two. Like I said, if he wasn't going to be one, he's going to be two for me. I love his power. I love the the fact that like the three year span where he was like in his you know best years outside 2020, 30 homers, 40 doubles, 20 stolen bases a season. I don't care what you have to say about his last 2020. If he does 25 and 30, I, I'm good. I'm good with that glove at shortstop fine. hitting two. 285, yeah. whatever. Hitting Just two? take it easy. I mean, like, oh. that's that oh. one two in the league is up there with some of the twist best. Twist my arm. Yeah. Twist my arm. So, I, and also, like, um, there's, you want your best hitters hitting as high as possible. And I, I think if you look at this mess lineup, every single guy besides Nimmo, even if you include Nimmo, just because, just because he fits a one leadoff, like, if I, if you were to pick one guy to get the most at bats, I think you just pick Francisco Lindor. I think that fact alone means you have to hit him second. I want him to be at the plate as much as humanly possible this season. And I don't think Lindor is a guy that strikes out a lot either. So it's not like 
it's not like you even have to worry about like, okay, if we want to steal Nimmo on two strikes, like you can get a little creative. Mets don't do it too no, often, definitely. but you could do a hit and run with Lindor. He puts the ball in play. So sure. I think like the Mets, that's something that they seem to be focused on too this year a little bit more is like trying to be a little more athletic on the base paths and a little more aggressive, which they just haven't done recently. But uh, yeah, Lindor too, I think at three, I'm interested to see who we got at three now. That's the thing. My three, again, sticking with this same idea that I want, well, first of all, the Mets have a weird lefty problem. Which, again, earlier we are talking about weird problems. The Mets have a lot of lefties in this order. So the fact that you have a switch hitter like Lindor, again, thinking purely from like a lineup construction, facing-facing bullpen standpoint, you want to stick a lefty with him. So you can have the switch hitter in between with the other lefty and move the lefties out so you don't have a glut of lefties later on in the bottom of the lineup. So I would put Michael Conforto in the three-hole. Michael Conforto just is a three-hitter. Like, traditional baseball sense, he is a three-hitter. He has power, but it's more about contact. He takes walks. He doesn't strike. He strikes out, but he doesn't strike out a ton. Like, he is smart. He's good at bats. He drives the ball to all fields. He can do so many things at the plate that a lot of other guys in his team can't can't do. And I I I, I really want I really want to hit there. Yeah, I mean, like he's you talked about wanting to have the best three hitters up, or you want to have your best players get the most at bats often. We just named our best three offensive, but guys, arguably on the team right there. So I I can't disagree on Conforto. Four. This is I think where you can get a little different. Probably if you're a Mets fan, you could probably go a couple different ways. For me, at least. I'm going Pete Alonso. I think Pete's just yeah. like, he, he is your four I, I agree. He's, I agree. you know, the big barrel chested guy comes up to the plate. He's got, he's got his bat. He does a little shimmies, his bat thing at the plate. And he just hits tanks. Like people want to talk about the bad year he had last year, which like, it wasn't good. It wasn't what we saw from his rookie season, but he still had what, like an 825 OPS, I think. Um, still was on pace to hit just as many homers as he did the year before. So like, yes, his average was down. I think the thing that everyone was worried about was like the chasing was a lot, was a lot higher. And I don't think he was walking as much. He was walk. He was walking and striking out about the same rate when the whole, when everything was said and done, his bad pip was down a little bit. That turn made his ISO way down. But I think a lot of that is a function of the baseball too, that people can't discount. Like, 2019 was an offensive environment like nothing we've ever seen before and probably nothing like we're ever going to see again. So there was there was just things happening that year that you're not going to expect. And I think that anyone who expects Pete Alonso to go 260, 350, 580, 50, 100, 120, that's not going to happen. He's not he's not Jimmy Fox. No. Like, <laughs> you, Hank Greenberg. You, you do that for multiple seasons, you are literally yeah, going into the literally. best power hitters of all time category i no, think legitimately yeah. was it barry bonds think, only hit like 50 homers like i think it honestly was it i'm gonna say something crazy here like only like two or three times and one of those seasons i don't know if, that, don't know if that's true let me see it might, this, that might be true see. but also no you know what it's even less barry bonds hit more than 50 home runs once in his career and that was the year and he, he hit 70 <laughs> so to think that pete alonzo is gonna put up another 50 home yeah. run year is just insane and there are some Mets fans out there that like do think that's going to happen and I want him to hit 50 home runs but we have to know that the realistic option is around 40 for him definitely yeah but fine 40 yeah, good yeah. fine that's a bad it. year for Pete sure yeah. sign me but, up yeah but the the big thing about Pete like you touched on a little bit is his walk rate he needs to be able to keep that number above 10 because his hit tool we know is not great because he's hitting 40 50 home runs like that's fine that's where his skill is I wouldn't want Pete to sacrifice power for contact that we our offense wouldn't be better if that happened. I want him to settle in with an on-base percentage around 330-340 to where that'll take his OPS around 900 and that will keep his value as as good as it can possibly be. That's what not even touching on defense though cuz we're talking about the lineup. What do you got? What do you got at 5? My guy Dom, Dominic, Dom Smith. 
Big baby Dom. I love this guy. I love I love the oh lefty righty like switch too. And it's like yeah, we're not no, we're not yeah. forcing it either. Like this is like probably no, the all. right five to have in this order. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean again, this is the lineup I would draw up. I like I think again, we're talking to, we're kinda of talking like in a traditional sense, but Dom is that five hitter. Dom is an RBI machine. Last year he had like as, as many RBIs as games played. So somewhere around there, like something ridiculous. Dom, like, Dom was one of the best hitters in baseball last year. Yes, he is. And, and like that's a guy who wasn't even pegged to be like an everyday player. He was, player. and then he wasn't, because Dom was a top draft pick, and Dom was a very high prospect early on, like uber athletic. He, Dom Smith's story is crazy. Like his, he basically sleep apnea basically held this guy back for like three three years. Our guy was literally like staying crazy. up every night, being like, "I just want to fall asleep," and then he has to go play baseball, and he's like, "I'm so tired." And they're like, "Hey, just just stress eat." They're just like, "Hey, how about you just like wear this machine?" And you're going to be good. He's like, oh my God, I, I know how to play baseball again. Like, I'm back. He's like, have you guys heard of this thing called sleeping? It's this incredible new invention. I just learned about it. And I'm I, a huge fan. And, and like, after I sleep, like, I feel better. 42 RBIs in 50 games last year for Dom. Yeah, it's really good. Amazing. And, like, people don't like RBIs, but, like, I mean, it's still... No, no, no. Yeah, no. RBIs, they're an antiquated stat. They care a lot about the things around you. Yeah. But it's just cool to see that, like... When given the opportunity, he does it. Yeah. That's a, I think yeah. that's important. I don't think you should punish someone for not having RBIs. But it's like, okay, if the guy does drive in people when they're on base, like, that's important. No, definitely. Still. I mean, I think the big distinction when talking about RBIs, to get, like, a little juju like, analytic for yeah. a second. Like, you could talk about RBIs in the sense of something that happened. Yes. Not in something, they're not predictive. Correct. Having RBIs one year isn't really indicative of having RBIs the following years. So we can understand it and talk about how great it was that happened. But having 40 RBIs in 50 games doesn't mean next year he's going to have 140 and 160. Yes, yeah, no, it's, it, like, it doesn't correlate and, that way. No, it's not. But that's, again, fine. And, again, I don't think Dominic Smith's ever going to hit 315 again either. I think he's probably going to settle into, like, a 275-ish, maybe push 280. Yeah, we saw him hit, what, 280 f- in 2019? Like, that's, I think that's probably yeah. more the numbers he is. Yeah, and even, I think that, I mean, again, also because 2019, 2019, whatever. But he'll, he'll, he's a good hitter. His, like, hit tool is, I think, his calling card more so than his power, which, which is why he fits a little bit better as, like, a 5-6 hitter, even, like, a 3-ish hitter than the 4, you know? But I think and that's fine, like, these guys have roles, and these guys are good at different things. And Dom's also going to have his hands full in left field, so he's going to be fo- a, little, a little bit focused on that. So we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how it happens this year. Slim Dom. We might look up next year, and Dom will just be the center fielder. Dom's playing <laughs> center field. He's Byron Buxton <laughs> yeah. out there. He's just flying yeah. around making diving catches. Dom is six feet tall, 220, just cut up, <laughs> like lean, <laughs> just running around. He's on the center guard workout. That's what it is. Uh, okay, at the, <laughs> six, at the six spot now, I think... Six? six. My six is definitely McNeil. Yeah, I mean, like... You're doubling up the lefties, but again, you got to put your best guys to get the most at bats. And McNeil, like McNeil at six, by the way, is just insane because on almost any other team, he's hitting one or two, or three, or three. Yeah, yeah. And like, like he's, he's re- he really is that good. Like the lack of respect given to Jeff, Jeff McNeil across Major League Baseball is unbelievable. Did you did you see? Have you seen the betting odds for Major League hit leader? By the way. He's at plus no, 3,000. He's like not even close wow. to being the favorite. Some guys ahead of him, like Bo Bichette was ahead of him. Bo Bichette's a great player. But you're talking about like just getting strictly hits? I don't know if there is a guy right now that puts the ball in play like Jeff McNeil does. I mean, Freddie Freeman, Juan Soto, Mike Trout. Okay, yeah. But those guys also walk a lot more than Jeff McNeil. Like plus 3,000 on major league hit leader? I might throw a couple hundred dollars on there and get rich real quick. He's so good. He's so fun too. He's such, I don't know. I love, I, I just like to love watching Jeff McNeil play baseball. He's such a throwback. He's, he's, he's the, Mur- he's such a like better Murphy, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
He's yeah, he's Murphy without all the um all the other stuff and maybe not like Murphy yeah. so much. But he like but McNeil like a big thing with McNeil was that he was like he wasn't labeled as a free swinger, but he would do anything to make contact before. And he's been ticking that walk rate up just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit every single year in the league. And he was pushing a ten percent walk rate last year. Which I would have never in a billion years thought he was gonna walk ten percent of the time. If he could be walking ten percent of the time and also be in like an RBI driven part of the order where his contact I think will play a little bit better than hitting leadoff, he could really have a great season. Like the the all the pieces are there, the infrastructure's in place. He could really, really do some special things this year. And one in one fantasy league I draft I did this year, rotisserie league, he went in like the ninth round. Usually he's like more like that's like much higher than usual, but I think there there just is like there's a foundation in place for Jeff McNeil to do a pretty pretty special thing to the plate this season. And like he's almost now like I always like to use like the Yankees lineup whenever I talk about this stuff, but like, you know, Joe Urshela hit sixth for a while and we saw his numbers just like go up and it's just because, okay, do I want to face Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, Glaber Torres, or Gio Urshela? I'm gonna pitch to Gio Urshela. Jeff McNeil is almost in that category of like, there's so many other guys I would rather not pitch to. McNeil's going to get a lot of pitches to hit in that sixth spot. Definitely. I mean, he, well, let's segue this to now seventh spot of the order because when J.D. Davis plays, he's going to be hitting seventh. And J.D. Davis is not a guy you can really pitch around. Again, there's, there's going to be some lineups drawn up where either Guillaume VR or um, maybe like even like, I don't know, Almora, whoever Pilar ends up being. or somebody being, like that. Yeah, even McCann. But like, I don't think McNeil is necessarily a guy that, thrives on protection. He does get, have a little red ass sometimes where I think he could get discouraged and see a lot of pitches out of the strike zone, which again makes his patience, the walk rate more important, the lower he hits in the order. But as long as he can remain selectively aggressive, which is a way, like when he's good, that's how he is. When he's off, he's like, he flails a little bit. But if he can stay selectively aggressive, lower in the order. His counting stats might be like shockingly good. Yeah. Uh, he's like that top six and even with JD like in the seventh spot, like that's, so incredibly so strong. So good. And like, I was going to even say like, okay, against lefties, you might move McCann up because McCann just crushes lefties, but so does JD. JD, yeah. Literally. <laughs> so what do you then move McNeil to eight? Like, absolutely not. McNeil you, can't be it, hitting eight. A lot of times against lefties, I have a, I think that you're going to see a lot of Kevin Pillar because Kevin Pillar is also historically pretty good against, I think at least better than righties. I might be wrong there, but that's actually a good point. We should we should transition to that talking about what this team's going to do against lefties because with all these lefties in the lineup, none of them really tend necessarily have bad splits. Like Conforto did when he was younger, but he's fine now. Nimmo's aren't great. He probably won't lead off against lefties, but he still he'll still work the pitch the count against lefties. Dominic Smith has incredible splits against lefties. Pete is the guy who struggles against lefties, which makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, it makes no sense. It's ridiculous. It's so weird. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot on Luis Rojas to maybe be creative and make sure he's playing the hot hand against lefties, but. As many lefties as we have, without many of them struggling against lefties, I I think we'll see probably less platoons on this team than we have in years past. Yeah, and like I think our, you know, whatever the, the platoon it's going to be called, whatever it is, it's more so going to be, okay, we've got five games in a row. Luis Gorme gets a start for J.D. Davis because he needs a day off. He also gets a start for McNeil. He also gets a start for Lindor. Because Definitely. It's also going to be about who's, who's pitching. Like day game after a night game, whether the Nimmo's playing, yeah, whether Nimmo's playing good in center or not so good in center. Yeah, no, I mean like the the bench depth is just incredible, and like I, I always love to go back to the 2015 World Series team. When you think about that team, the bench depth that we had that year, guys like Kelly Johnson, uh, Juan Uribe, like those were really good bench bats. Yeah, important and important to the success of the team that year. Like it's it, even. Kirk Neuenheis, you got to mention him. As 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 streaky as he was, he had the three home run game. Three home run game. And three that's, home run game. Kirk Neuenheis can do no wrong. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like almost the pinnacle of the sport. <laughs> three home runs in one game. Yeah. 
So, like, I, I love that we have all these guys that can slot in. And while they're not as good as the guys that they'll be filling no. in for, they're, like, major league players. It's not... Yeah, no, that's a very important distinction. The fact that the Mets have major league players ready to step in at any given moment. There's no more, like, Carlos Gomez, Keon Broxton that we're going to rely on for at bats. <laughs> oh, don't even talk like... about Keon Broxton. He's such a nice guy, but my God. Yeah, he's probably wonderful. He still has a job, too. He still plays a good defensive center field. But the fact yeah. that... Like Kevin Pillar and Jonathan VR are sitting on the bench. Those are two guys who over the last five years have put up some really, really nice seasons as starters. Those are guys who start on a lot of major league teams this year. Yeah, most. Well, it's only about 10 major league teams who try, so that's an important distinction to make. But the fact that we can rely on meaningful at-bats from those two and our King Guillaume as, as we reasonably move through the season and get through the dog days. And there's a lot of science that shows more off days limit injury. And I don't want to see anyone get injured. These are all I love all these guys so much. I don't want anybody to get hurt. <laughs> yeah, wrap him up, bubble wrap. Yeah, I think Guillaume is the king of the bench. Of course, he's gonna be he's gonna be our guy every day. And Luis Guillaume will be on this podcast one day. That's a fact. Absolutely. First Unless episode, you, listeners, yeah. you heard it. We're getting Luis Guillaume at some point. When I tweeted a, like a nice thing about Guillaume's like stats last year with a video, it like went it didn't go viral, but it got like a couple hundred likes, and his dad liked it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Luis Guillaume Senior is yeah. active on Twitter. Yeah, very good. I like I'll see him tweet out every once in a while. He's like. I see all the positive comments about my son. It warms uh-huh. my heart. I'm like, I, I fucking love this guy. What a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, let's get him on too. Let's get the Apple on. <laughs> I'd love to get the, the Guillormes. Yes. He has a brother too. Bring him in. Uh, we, we lost the G unit because we got rid of Jimenez, but yeah, Guillorme's still fine. around, so I'll take it. I'll also, give, also call him G unit. I don't care. Yes. No, I mean, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of positivity with the Mets. Opening day is around the corner. Mm-hmm. Super Smell excited. It. Super excited. Before we... Uh, start wrapping things up here let's talk about opening day uh let's talk about honestly like just going to a mets game home opener 20 yeah. percent yeah. uh what did mm-hmm. they say you need to either have had a negative test within 72 hours or proof of vaccine two shots okay so proof of vaccine two shots or the j and j one shot i think mm-hmm. um yeah. i mean like what do we think that what, what do you think the crowd's gonna be like because i've been to the a couple cr- games i think the answer is raucous raucous <laughs> i mean i'm, I'm fervent I'm, I will, I will uh, camp outside of City MD the they day let before, me in. I'm there. and I will get my test, and I will be there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm just excited to be back in the stadium, man. I'm so excited. Being, I've, I've been at spring training now for a little while, and I've gone to a few games, and like just feeling the energy of a baseball park, even a, a one-quarter-filled capacity, basically glorified minor league stadium in the middle of nowhere, Arizona. I was in Surprise, Arizona at a game last night. If you don't know where it is, look it up and laugh. It was 45 minutes from my Airbnb in Scottsdale, and it was worth every single moment just to sit down there with a beer and watch baseball. The sun setting over the nice southwest sky. It was lovely. I think the Mets, too, like, we, I think we noticed it a little bit last year, too. Like, they do feed off the crowd energy. Not that that's an excuse, but, like, I think guys like Pete, like, really love the idea of, like, there's a crowd there everybody's watching excited like some juice yeah it gives us a little bit of juice because there were games last year where they felt flat and i think that's just because like it is hard to get yourself excited when you're playing in front of nobody definitely it's also probably like eerie like strange yeah i mean like you're hearing the other dugout probably have a conversation like "Ah, i just don't really want to hear that like (laughs) yeah no like that that prompted a lot of fights last year (laughs) yeah or even like if an umpire makes a crap call like from the bench now like you can you can go back to saying shit and it's it's gonna be okay the the rabbit ears no more tossing guys from the stands no (laughs) or tossing the no strasburg last year got tossed and uh their gm too right rizzo yeah rizzo from the owner's box i mean like Say what you want about the Nationals, but that was a great moment last year. That was was really funny. What we're going to do at the end of every podcast episode is we're going to find a bad Mets take. I don't know what we're going to call this, you know, segment. We're just going to do it. It doesn't have to be called anything. But 
I'm going to let you take the control on this one here because this is this is a little tweet you found. This is something you wanted to talk about. So let's let's hear the bad Mets take. Basically, Mark and I just there's just the kind of we think there's this like this weird toxicity around figures of Mets media. People really benefit talking about the Mets on misery. And we want to change that change that fold because we're happy about the Mets now. The Mets are good. The Mets are positive. We're, yeah, we're bringing the vibes. We're bringing good vibes to the Mets. So we want to bring light to the lunacy of people who say things that are ridiculous on a regular basis. And one of my favorite of these people, prominent menu, member of New York sports media, his name is Brian Monzo. Still WFAN, right? Does WFAN? I think so, yeah. He's like a producer, yeah. isn't he, or whatever? Yeah, it's Monzo. I think Mon- yeah, he's one of the people. I love WFAN. I've been listening to WFAN regularly since I was seven years old, which is yeah. probably unhealthy, but past that. <laughs> this uh, winter, Monza was very negative about the Mets losing out on many of the top free agents. He was upset about Real Muto. He was very upset about Springer. And he was, I don't think he was upset about Bauer, but he was disappointed that we went head-to-head with a team like the Dodgers and lost. So when he was tweeting about how this was like one of the worst Mets offseasons he could remember, <laughs> so disappointing, someone went back on Twitter and found his tweet from 2014. And it says, at this point, I would rather keep Dylan G than Noah Syndergaard. Which you, we, I don't want negativity like that in my life, especially no. not around my team. Yeah, like Dylan G was like our guy at the time. He was, he was doing yeah. some good stuff for us. No, but like, good. I like Dylan, I like Dylan But G. I mean, like, even it's just, it's like, that's the kind of stuff that like we're trying to avoid. We're not trying to be hot take machines. We're not trying to be, you know, the next great thing, trying to get all the clicks. That's what I do on my YouTube channel. We're not doing it over here on the podcast. I'm not predicting the Mets to win the World Series. We're trying to keep it realistic, but also still have that positive spin. Because like baseball is just more fun when you're happy. Why would we want to be? Why would we want to go into a season which has the potential to be one of the best that we've seen in our lifetime, and be negative? There's so many good things to be positive about with the Mets this year. That's that's the vibes. That's what I want all season long: positivity. Yeah, for sure. Just positive vibes only. Bring it out. Think of us kind of like two Metsias. That like, was that, sp- that, that was going to be our podcast name. We were thinking about the Metsias, <laughs> but after some you know yeah. some testing about it's, it, it was like, yeah, some some focus group work. It, it might be a little it might be a little cloudy, but you can yeah, think a little of too us much, a little, little too close, a little too close to the sun. But just we want to bring the good word of the Mets to everybody. We want to be happy, cheerful. We will be upset. There will be times when we're going to be upset. We're going to be disgruntled. If we're like twenty four and twenty two on like on May nineteenth, I'm going to be very very disappointed. Got a lot to but, say. Yeah, but like there needs to be this good feeling around this team right now we want to help generate it yeah i think i think positive vibes like this team is very positive the guys on the teams are very positive i mean you got stroman who like that's his whole thing is just like keep it positive i don't want this negativity around me almost to, almost to a, almost to a fault almost but you know what i would rather him be so much more positive <laughs> oh yeah for sure and be even slightly negative yeah so, a mope no yeah mope oh, we, we got rid of our mope so we're good but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i mean like yeah, see you later um <laughs> It's just that's what we're trying to do here on the podcast. First episode, me and James doing it out here, messed up. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. It's all going to be messed up. Uh, just one word, no apostrophes, anything. M E T S D U P. Um, we're going to be uploading. What's, what do we say our schedule is going to be? So we're probably going to stick with one more before the season. Maybe get some nitty gritty. Talk about like final roster cuts. We pick as the last couple guys in the team injured list maybe get deeper into what we think about the rotation after the carrasco news today but we're going to try to do two a week during the season one's going to come out monday morning one's going to come out friday morning get you guys on commute get you guys as the mets are going to be starting up new new weekend weekday series cover cover everything that goes on with the team yeah and uh i'm we're still learning this podcast thing here so if there's a little hiccups here and there just you know bear with us 
I'm a YouTuber. James writes a lot and you know has an actual job as well. So we're, we're trying our best. We're going to be committed to it because, I mean, this is literally our life. All we do is watch Absolutely. Mets baseball and talk about baseball. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was a great way to do it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the first episode. should be out on iTunes and Spotify as well as long as everything with the upload process works. And, you know, follow us. James has his personal yeah. Twitter. No, yeah, Jeter had no range. Catch me my writing on Pitcher List. Great blog. Really good. Yeah. Take it away, baby. And uh, yeah, Giraffe Neck Mark, hopefully you guys come back for another episode. If not, screw you. And if you do, (laughs) thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you next week. That's going to wrap it up for us. Messed up. We out.